Hi, everybody. I'm an alcoholic. My name is David. Hey, grateful to be here. Grateful to be sober today. That's kind of echoey. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. Um, I have a sobriety date. It's October 24th, 1989. I didn't know we shared. Maybe we have to revisit this for me every time, but October 24th. Um, I didn't know that I was going to uh, be sober for the next 34 years on October 24th, 1989. Uh, I just knew that the Grateful Dead played Charlotte, North Carolina on October 23rd, 1989. And, uh, I wandered into AA uh, somewhere toward the end of the month, beginning of November, something like that. And I remember hanging around long enough to, to realize maybe I want one of those 30-day trophy chip things, you know? And so I had to, thank God I had a ticket stub so I could back calculate my sobriety date. I didn't mean to stay here this long. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have a home group. Uh, it's a simple actions group. We meet on Monday nights in Norfolk, Virginia at 7 p.m. at the Gent United Methodist Church. Um, I have a sponsor. I sponsor other men. And I really am grateful to be uh, asked to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Jerry, and uh, the committee. This is a great event. And we, we don't get turnouts like this in, in uh, Tidewater, Virginia. Saturday is kind of an alcoholic high holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We put on some fantastic events. And, in fact, Jerry, on, at my home group, simpleactions.net, you can, we, we record everything. And, and you, you can go back there and find a whole weekend of talks with Jerry and um, a guy named Rich B from Ocean City, Maryland. And I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, man, those talks, those talks are amazing. And, and I have to tell them, yeah, the, the 30 other people that were in the room that day really enjoyed that. So I'm aware of the topic. Um, I'll, I'll try to approach that through my own experience. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give alcohol an honorable mention here. I, the same thing happened to me. Like um, From the time I got invited to do this talk, I, I'd go to bed thinking about it. I'd wake up thinking about it. I'd find myself daydreaming about it at work, you know. And... Um, you know, and then I get up here, I can't tell you my middle name. You should have heard the talk in the car I gave on the way over here. I mean, I was crying, you guys were crying. You know. I looked down at the speedometer, I was doing 85 and a 55. Like, Slow roll. I got a couple of, all right, since it's a good crowd, I'll tell you a couple of funny ones. This one's about being from the South. Um, before I found you guys, I was uh, going to ODU, and uh, and and uh, and uh, there was a concert up in Philadelphia we were going to go see. We went up there, and uh, me and my my buddy went to his uh, childhood home. They they lived in Jersey, um, so we're up there getting ready, you know, getting pregame for this concert that's happening in Philly that night. And so I'm up there in Jersey with all these folks, and and uh, and it's a nice party, a nice house, everything like that. And I'm sitting in the chair, and, and uh, one, of the, one of these cats from, from New Jersey says, uh, what are you doing? You know, and I, I said, oh, I'm getting ready to get in the shower. And those guys all just started, like I just tripped over a private joke between all of them. They were like, you guys, you guys from the South, you're always getting ready to do stuff, you know? And uh, he's like, we don't mess with getting ready around here. We just do stuff, you know? And, and so now I've been properly insulted by these people, and formulating my response, and sometimes the universe just gives you a gift, you know. As I was about to kind of walk them through the, the, uh, the machinations of getting ready to do stuff, and I said, listen, fellas, I said, suppose I was getting ready to get up and get a beer. 
And right then, this pretty girl walks across right in front of us, doesn't even slow down. She goes, I'll get you a beer. <laughs> and I just looked back at him, I was like, I rest my case. <laughs> and uh, this will kick off into my story just a little bit. I'll, I'll try to keep that minimum. I know I'm, I'm here for a topic, but uh, I, um, my dad went to school right up the road here at Wake Forest, and um, he was a veterinarian. Uh, my grandfather was also a veterinarian, and uh, my dad kind of lived a charmed life. You know, he, uh, well, he walked into an established veterinary practice, for one thing. <laughs> but he was like the captain of the football team, married the head cheerleader, and he just, he, full ride football scholarship at, at Wake Forest. I was talking to some folks from Roanoke earlier, and, and um, when we went to the, the summer meeting in Virginia was in Roanoke, and, and we also shared the hotel with the Wake Forest football team. And I'm, I, you know, I'm 6'2", 250, and, the, and I'm looking up at these refrigerators of human beings. But anyway, my dad, uh, my dad went on a full-ride scholarship, and um, he was very proud of being a veterinarian. I remember being a little kid and being embarrassed by that. He would introduce himself as uh, Dr. Francis. And I'm, I mean, I'm like five years old, and I'm thinking, lighten up on the veterinarian, lighten up on the doctor thing, Pop. You know what I mean? You're, you're a veterinarian. Can you just chill? I'm embarrassed for him, you know? And uh, so, uh, now this is just hearsay, what I'm about to tell you, but because uh, I was four years old in 1965, he paid cash, I don't know he paid cash, I, 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 I threw in that detail, he bought a 1965 Malibu SS, yeah, yeah. candy stripe, white rag, white rag top, candy apple red, typical thing you'd see on the cover of a beautiful like muscle car magazine, classic car. And uh, we lived on this serpentine road, and my, my old man lost control of the vehicle on the way home, went off the road, up the guy wire, snapped off the telephone pole, electricity went out in the neighborhood, car comes down on his back end, he spills out, and he does what I would consider a very alcoholic thing. He looked at the damage around him, and then he just went home. <laughs> so he goes home, and then I guess the police come to the scene, and they figure out whose car it belongs to, and they go knocking on our our door and uh, open up to see my, my drunk, banged up, bloody father answer the door. And the officer said to him, Dr. Francis, you realize I'm supposed to, I'm going to have to give you a citation for this. And my father says, I wasn't aware they gave awards for this sort of thing. <laughs> I love that story. Those are my people, you know what I mean? And, and they made it look good, you know? And, and I'm, I'm not offering that as an explanation. I, I see myself as sort of a freeze-dried alcoholic, you know what I mean? I, I got to just add liquid and watch me go. I could have been raised in laboratory conditions. I think I would, uh, if I lived to tell it, would have a tale to tell in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I couldn't wait to get started. And um, so when I tell you that I'm an alcoholic, what I mean by that is that I've got that thing that once I start drinking, I don't stop drinking. Uh, I, I start drinking, I'm going to get drunk. I think it's my idea. I'm not interested in being tipsy. I don't care about a warm glow. I like getting ripped out of the frame. I like getting regrettably hammered drunk. That's just drinking. That's the way drinking's always been to me. I'm that guy. You know what I mean? You ever go to a wedding and you see that guy? Look how drunk that, gee, look at that. He's hitting on, hitting on your wife right in front of you. That guy, I'm that guy. And, um, and that's just drinking, man. That's just, uh, that's the only way I've ever wanted to drink. That's the only thing that made sense to me. There's only people I like hanging out with, people that drink like that. 
I'm married to a woman who occasionally has a glass of wine. And I don't mean the way we mean occasionally. I mean like like every six weeks she'll go, I think I'll have a little wine with dinner. I'm like, go baby, go, knock yourself out. <laughs> and I noticed some stuff, man, like she pours that glass and it doesn't seem important to her at all. She's, she's more, what's important to her is what she's saying to me. And I'm, and I'm just staring at the wine. Like, Get that in you so we can move on to fun, you know? And, so I, I, I don't want to drink with people like that. I, uh, by the time I was 19 years old, I've been to the funerals of four of my friends. None of their death certificates say untreated alcoholism. They say stuff like car accidents, gun accidents, motorcycle accidents, and suicide. But those are my brothers, those are the cats. I drank all the fun out of drinking by the time I was 20. I legitimately wanted to stop. I legitimately wanted off the ride. You know, in the beginning, alcohol does a lot for me, doesn't do much to me, right? I'm 10 feet tall, bulletproof, drastically handsome, able to sing, woohoo. I can live with a headache, you know? I can live with a few missed appointments, shooting my mouth off. I can, I can take a beating, you know? I got a big mouth. I deserved it. But if you keep setting me free, I'll keep paying this price. But over time, not only does it do more and more to me, it does less and less for me. That's the painful part, man. By the end of my drinking, I couldn't look people in the eye. I couldn't put two sentences together to convey an idea. I couldn't answer simple questions, really, you know? I was afraid to answer the telephone. I couldn't answer the door. I was anything but free. I first met you guys. I was 22 years old. I'd, I'd been on a... Uh, I've been on a little bender and I needed to cool off and uh, checked into a detox and I don't know anything about alcoholism but uh, this guy starts 12-stepping me what I know today he, uh, now I'm 22 years old I've been up for 3 or 4 days straight I'm incoherent and um, this guy asked me if I've ever considered going to alcoholics Anonymous and in that condition I said no nope. <laughs> uh, some sort of religious cult and uh, I'm not interested in that, you know. And uh, he told me I could make a doorknob my higher power, and, and that, that just confirmed to me that you, you guys are crazy. And... <laughs> so I had to spend six more years coming in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't mean I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I joined a home group, I got a sponsor, I made an effort at the steps. I mean, like if it was an 8 o'clock meeting, I came in about 8.05, sat near the back, got out before your poker chip trophies or whatever weird thing. You're certainly not going to hold your hand, and I don't need your number, Mac. You know? <laughs> That's what I mean by coming in and out of alcohol. So what ends up happening to me in the last year of my drinking, I, uh, I decided to stay drunk for the rest of my life. I was never going to try to stay sober uh, ever again. It's too painful coming off the, falling off the wagon, and I'm just going to never draw another sober breath again. And I'm not as tough as some of you guys. I made it in that condition for about three months. And that particular run was interrupted by the Fairfax uh, County Police. And the answer to the question, have you been drinking, sir, was, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I have been. I'm wasted. I shouldn't be operating this vehicle. Man. This is ridiculous, you know. And, <laughs> And I started, I got the idea that I'll go back to AA because it'll look good for the court. I don't know about you guys, but do you, do you guys suffer from fantasies? Do you, does your mind ever wander? Am I the only one? I knew that if I went to like 6,000 meetings, I would show up in front of that judge and he was going to sentence me to AA, right? And I'd be like, way ahead of you, judge. And I'd pull out my scroll. And the judge is obviously going to be so impressed with my initiative and my... 
he's obviously never met anyone like me. That he would just case dismissed, right? And uh, so I started off on that journey, and I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous. You guys seem to think that the judge wasn't going to care, which once again just proves to me I'm dealing with idiots. So this home, this is my very first home group. Thank you. <laughs> this is my very first home group. I remember screwing up and going early to a meeting. Um, you, ever, you ever do that? You know, it's easy to be cool in a room full of 50 people. You know, it's really hard to be cool in a room full of four. You're just sitting at the table smoking a cigarette. Don't talk to me. God, don't talk to me. But uh, I screwed up and went early. And you know what you find when you go early to the meeting? You find people that care about Alcoholics Anonymous. They care about each other. They care about sobriety. And then this guy sits down next to me. He goes, what's your story, man? And I don't know what I told the guy, but I had a whole bunch of dates that I was listening to. Well, I stopped drinking on this date, and I stopped this other, and I'm still working on it. You know. And uh, he just cut me off, and he said, listen, man, the way this thing works is you, uh, you make a commitment to staying sober one day at a time, and uh, you get a sponsor and work the 12 steps. And if you want to do that, I'll help you. If you don't want to do that, then don't waste my time. And I said, will you sponsor me? And he said, yeah, you go where I go, and you do what I do. Now, this particular home group, they all met on Thursday nights. And then on Monday nights, the men had a men's meeting someplace and the women had a women's meeting some other place. And all through the rest of the week, these guys would move sort of as a, as a pack. They, they'd kind of go, they'd select the different meetings and they would show up there and kind of take over the group conscience. And it, and it was led by this guy called Ernie. And Ernie was one of these guys that you either absolutely adored Ernie or you absolutely despised Ernie. Ernie was an old bosun's mate in the Navy. He was profane. He had tons of dirty jokes. And uh, he wore a turtleneck and a sport coat. And it was, it was weird. His sponsees would show up in turtlenecks. And, <laughs> and if, if somebody in the home group had something that needed to be done on Saturdays, if like something needed to be painted or someone was moving, then the whole home group would just mobilize out there. And this was my introduction to the home group. Shut up and paint the fence. You know? Paint the fence. I remember, I remember asking Mark, I said, listen, man, everybody's talking about these steps. And he says, you'll be on step one for a year, so don't, don't worry about that. Just shut up and paint the fence. This is my introduction. And uh, so I stayed with those guys long enough for somebody to hurt my feelings. And then I went back to work in my own program, and, uh, and I, didn't, I didn't ever take another drink. Um, I softened my position on mild hallucinogens, you know. But I never did take another drink, and I, and I wasn't going to go to AA anymore because those folks are weird. And uh, what ends up happening to me, man, is I'm six months abstinent of alcohol, and I'm, all I can think about is killing myself. I did not want to drink anymore. I absolutely did not want to drink anymore. I knew that if I started that I didn't know where it was going to end up, and I was absolutely disgusted with the things that I'm capable of saying and doing under the influence of alcohol. I knew that I didn't have control of it. Once I lit that fuse, it was going to burn until it was done. And, uh, and just as badly as I wanted to drink, I, um, or didn't want to drink, I, I knew I was about to get drunk. I know what it feels like to be about to get drunk. And then that came up in my head, you should just kill yourself. And I thought, that's a solid plan. Because I'm miserable drunk, I'm miserable sober, miserable drunk, miserable sober. That wasn't like a, a couple of weeks, that was a couple of years. And uh, I wanted out. So I decided to jump off a building. And if you're shopping for buildings to jump off, I can help you. 
first of all, you don't want it to be too short. You know, you don't want to deliver yourself into some condition where you can only maybe wiggle an earlobe. You know, then how are you going to communicate to people how thirsty you are in that environment? You're trapped with the one thing. I don't know about your head, but mine's yakking at me all the time. Just yak, yak, yak. Always doing threat assessments, you know. And I just seem to be trapped and that would be like hell on earth. And if it was too tall, I can imagine having to spend way too much time in the air. You know, just, you know what I mean? Just regretting my decision, being wrong. That would make me terribly uncomfortable, you know? And this little still voice came up inside me and said, why don't you go to one more dumb student meeting about alcoholics now? And I'm not going to tell you I earned my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not going to tell you my best thinking got me a seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. My best thinking got me driving around the city of Norfolk trying to figure out which building to jump off of. I believe my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous is a gift of love and God. So I believe that now. I don't, I don't know that I believed it then. But I, I knew how to find AA meetings and I went. And you know what it looks like when you pull up to an AA meeting then? You know, there are people sitting out front, you know, and they're smoking and then styrofoam cups and they're gesturing, telling stories. Obviously, they got big, important deals going on, you know. And I don't, you know, I'm driving around looking for a building to jump off of. But I make a big deal out of this because it saved my life, man. Like, this guy, I can still see him. This is, whatever, 34 years ago. I see the guy, see me coming across the parking lot. And I've been to enough AA meetings, I knew what that meant. You know, he's gonna talk to me. <laughs> I don't wanna talk to this guy. And you couldn't hide in the cell phone back then, so I pretended to drop my keys, you know. And um, he stuck out his hand. I'm sure he was having a perfectly jolly conversation with his brothers about his amazing sober life. But he was awake to the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous. He was looking for a guy like me. Looking actively for someone like me. And he put out his hand. He said, my name is Walt. I said, hey, Walt, I'm David. Took me inside. He got me a cup of coffee. He didn't point out the coffee pot. He got me half a cup of coffee. Sat me down in a chair. Introduced me to another dude. Got a little chit-chat going on. Made me feel comfortable. And I remember sitting in that chair during that meeting. I don't remember. Well, I'm going back up. When he met me, before he got me the coffee, he looked me dead in the eye. And he said, everything's going to be all right. He never met me before. There was something about me that I must have looked like someone who needed a little comfort. And he offered me some. Everything's going to be okay. And he got that little chit-chat going, and he patted me, and he had to go chair the meeting. He said, don't worry, nobody's going to call on you. I, and and I, I knew that he was a wizard, you know? I knew that this guy... <laughs> You know what I mean? I was like, how does he know my worst fear is standing in front of a room full of people and talking? I can't stand in front of a room full of people and talk. I'll lose my train of thought. I'll begin to babble. I'll panic and have to leave, you know, and run out of town. I used to only go to speaker meetings because <laughs> I was petrified of being called on. So full of shame and guilt and remorse and the things that I'd said and done and dragging that stuff around. Anyway, I remember sitting in that meeting and I said, I'm just going to do what these people do. And that was the beginning of my sobriety date. That was, that was to be my first home group. I, um, I ran with those guys for a while. I just remember it being fun. And I, I remember discovering that I, I, could, I, could, uh, I could laugh sober. Like the first time I ever laughed out loud sober, I did with those guys. 
And that was amazing to me, man. That's stimulating an electric atmosphere that they talk about there. There's a power in the fellowship. It's not the power, but it is powerful. You know, to come from that loneliness, that isolation, that desperation of alcoholism. I'm the only one. I got people that love me and I'm all by myself. You know, I mean, just that soul sickness, you know. And to be with people who understand, who can hug you up a little bit, it's amazingly uh, therapeutic, you know. And, and I just felt that stuff, man. I, I ended up asking another guy to sponsor me, this guy called Ray Dillon. And uh, Ray was some ungodly amount of sobriety. He was like 35 years sober. He was an old street drunk in Norfolk. Uh, whenever the cops would ask him what his address was, he'd tell him 811 City Hall Avenue, because that's where the city jail is. <laughs> and uh, Ray was a member of the Little Door group. And uh, it was basically him and Gladys. And, and I joined that group and I asked Ray to sponsor me. And what that meant was I showed up an hour and a half earlier to that meeting, put on the resentment pot of coffee, and then sat there chain smoking cigarettes talking to Ray. And it was amazing. And uh, I, that group was not connected to AA as a whole. Uh, I remember asking Ray, I keep hearing about intergroup, what's that? And he said, those people are just people that have unrequited political ambitions. <laughs> and I, I said, fair enough. You know? And, and I, I just accepted it. And just about every old timer in Norfolk would come to that meeting and that smoke would hang down about here, man. And, yeah. and, uh, and I felt found there, you know. And, you know, they weren't connected to AA. The group just seemed to function just like that, you know. Ray passed away. Gladys kept it going for a few years, but it, it's, it's not there anymore. Um, I only have a few minutes with you, but um, there was a time... I, 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 I ended up finding a sponsor going through the 12 steps. I was, all, I was a member of a home group. Uh, I remember the old man told me, um, uh, just why don't you cultivate a habit of saying yes to Alcoholics Anonymous, David? He said, uh, AA's gonna ask some stuff of you. Why don't you just say yes? We already know you don't wanna do it. <laughs> and I don't know about y'all, but I can hear that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, you got me. <laughs> okay, and I started saying yes. And, I worked really hard in Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to intergroup as a young man and got to listen to these old men argue over $17.36. I couldn't, st when I was young, I couldn't, it was everything in me. I, I wanted to throw a 20 down on the table. It's on me, shut up. <laughs> so I never became disenchanted with Alcoholics Anonymous, but what happened to me, and I See, it happened to a lot of people. I know I'm not unique, but I became enchanted with other things. Um, I only ever wanted to be a husband. Uh, I got married. I only ever wanted to be a father. Boys start coming. Children start coming along. I only ever wanted to own my own business. One just dropped in my lap, and I started attending that stuff. I wasn't mad at AA. I didn't think I wasn't an alcoholic. None of that stuff. I just leaked away one commitment at a time. So fast forward to like 14 years sober, roughly 20 years ago, I was, I had a divorce pending, separated legally and physically, children were indifferent to my comings and going, business is failing, I'm back to sitting in my backyard chain smoking cigarettes thinking about suicide. So see, if drinking was the problem, that, that would have been solved 14 years ago, man. I have a spiritual malady. So anyway, I went to one more dumb, stupid meeting, and this guy saved my life, man. I, I, uh, 
the message of Alcoholics Anonymous that Susie talked about, when it, it, is, it is so simple and so clear, when it is described, it is like a hot knife through butter, man. It is, I don't know about y'all, but there's a lot of noisy meetings in Norfolk. There's an awful lot of fluffy recovery going on here. <laughs> and, uh, and then somebody just has a point blank declaration of what the problem is, what the solution is, and it, it just rings. And this guy just kind of rang the solution at the meeting and I asked that guy for sponsorship and I'm giving him my tale of woe and he says, Man, man, AA is full of guys like you. You're suffering from untreated alcoholism. Ah. I was insulting. <laughs> he had like eight years, you know what I mean, to my 14. That's disrespectful, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, but once you hear the truth, you can't unhear it, you know? And, and uh, what ended up happening, that guy couldn't even keep, I wanted him to sponsor me, but he couldn't even keep his commitments to me. But once you hear the truth, you can't unhear it. And I began to awaken again in Alcoholics Anonymous. I recommitted to the, to the pages of this book, to the steps as they're outlined in here, and uh, joined another home group. And I uh, started having this experience, you know, just quickly hooked back up into service and, and um, sponsoring other people. And, and um, suddenly that, it didn't matter. That marriage reconciled, by the way, but it didn't matter anymore, you know? Um, I mean, it mattered, but I, what I'm saying is I, I lost the obsession for it. So I'm in this home group. And this home group was a two-legged home group. It was really big on recovery and really big on unity. They, it was a big book step study. They were down with the 12 steps. Um, they would talk about the 12 steps. They were kind to one another. There were some great people there. I liked being there. I'm having this new experience in AA, so I'm the guy, I come to the, uh, I come to the meeting, I'm like, hey, there's, a, there's an opportunity at Virginia Beach site. Uh, they need groups to sign up and take a few days a month. How about we do it? You know, and the group conscience would be like, hey, whoa. <laughs> you can bring that opportunity here, but we as individuals will walk that off. We're not interested in taking any commitments as a group. So I was in that group for a while, and I'm having a fantastic experience in AA, but I'm getting increasingly frustrated in the group. I was kind of happy being unhappy in that group at that time. And... Um, and, and, and people were starting meetings left and right, right? People were coming up to me and like, hey man, I got an idea for a meeting, we're gonna do this format, we're gonna do this thing. And, uh, and meetings are popping up everywhere. I don't know, I don't know where it is, what it's like around here, but in, in Tidewater, there, there's a half a dozen meetings on the hour just about. I mean, there's a ton of meetings going on. And my attitude was, listen bro, there, there's plenty of meetings. And there's plenty of meetings with no message. You know, instead of starting a meeting, why don't you just take up a chair at those meetings and carry a clear message? And that was just my attitude. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that was, that was how I felt. Just show up, carry a message to these meetings that are already here. So I didn't want to start another meeting. In the meantime, I got another guy whispering on me, we should start a meeting, we should start a meeting. I'm like, I don't want to start a meeting. I don't want to start a meeting. <laughs> so uh, what did it for me was we, we did a group inventory. And I had already gotten a reputation in that group for being kind of a noisy, clangy gong. You know, it was as if in a business meeting, if something came up, it was like the whole room would look over at me because they know that dude's going to say something. Let's get that out of the way, you know. And, uh, and so I had, I'd had enough trouble with that that I had resolved to, I'm going to go to this group inventory. Is everybody, you know in a group inventory where the whole home group shows up and then you get somebody to come in and ask some questions and the group answers it? And uh, so I, I made the decision, like, I'm, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to shut my mouth 
And if somebody says what I was going to say, I'm just going to say, you know, I agree with Daryl, or I'm with Susie on this one, or whatever. You know, I wasn't going to gas about it. And um, so I made my mind to do that, and we sat in there. You know the first question of that inventory? What is the primary purpose of the group? And it went around one by one. Our purpose of this group is to provide a supportive environment for ourselves. And it just kept going like that. And I'm thinking, oh my God, Charles is going to say it. Charles will say it. And Charles said something goofy. And it came around and, and nobody said it. I just raised my hand. I said, um, to, to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And the whole group went, yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> but that happened to me. That was an experience that happened to me. And that, all of a sudden, it just made perfect sense. This is, this is why I'm unhappy here. This is... I'm, I'm shoulder to shoulder with people who aren't interested in doing the whole thing. And that's okay, you know what I mean? But I, I, I would like to be part of a three legacy group. I would like to be part of people who are interested in the steps, interested in one another, and participating in Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole. So I started talking to my buddy, we're gonna start a meeting. And that other half of the equation in this had no interest in connecting with AA as a whole, zero. We, we're not, we don't have to worry about any group, we don't have to worry about the district. They're sort of like people with unrequited political ambitions, right? Yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna shoemaker stick to that last, we're gonna, we're gonna put our stake in the ground, plant our flag here, we're gonna have this meeting, we're gonna carry this message. And I just said, I'm not gonna be part of a group that's not connected to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just not gonna. So at my home group today, that was about 12 years ago, we're in our 12th year now. And we started that meeting on the recovery side, what we wanted to do in our area, if you go to a step study, you're going to go to a, a, a group that's going to read out of 12 and 12. And uh, we just thought, you know, when we sponsor people, we take people through the uh, Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous to, to work the steps. Well, what if we had a step study built around the, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I've never seen that. And, uh, and it was super important. Why don't we go out to dinner after the thing? Let's, let's be together in unity. And then he, my co-founder, acquiesced to at least having a GSR and uh, having an interview rep. So we set the thing up. And what I, what I said was, let's test the format. Let's, let's, do, uh, let's work up this format and let's run through it at the house. You invite your sponsees, I'll invite mine, and we'll see how it goes. And so we, uh, we started doing it on uh, Sunday afternoons um, at my house. And every week, everyone who was there the week before dragged, drug somebody in, and within you know six weeks, it was obvious that we had something that that made sense. So we we started we started the meeting in the summer of 2012. So there's a couple things. I think there's a couple of practical things I want to tell you about. Um, one of them, well, first of all, it it, it is super well. Let me, let me get this straight. So we want the least possible organization, but we want to be organized enough to where we're not chaos, right? <laughs> coffee pot's got to go somewhere. Somebody's got to get the coffee. Let's get organized around that. So um, we set up our regular group conscience to happen on the fourth Monday of the month. That always happens every month. 
And that meeting is set up with a particular format. There's the treasurer's report, and then we have GSR, the intergroup report, any old or new business. It's important, and it became important to the group, that we are, we are here, to, we're here to face outward. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna meet monthly and talk about whether we should keep saying the Lord's Prayer or not, or whether we should change this line in the format or whatever. We're not gonna face inward. We are gonna connect with what the GSR has to say, what the, uh, what the uh, intergroup rep has to say, and face outward towards other groups. That's what we're doing here. And then, by the way, we figure out who's chairing the meeting and making coffee next month. Um, we set up a thing, just this, just a practical thing, home group service manual. I know it sounds funky, but it was, it's just a living document that has all the definitions of the service positions. That's it. If I say yes to making the coffee, there's a document that you can look at that says, these are the things you do, this is the time you show up, this is what you need to do, et cetera. And all the positions are laid out that way. The cool thing, the thing that I want to offer you that I've found to be of high utility is on the back page of that is something called group resolutions. And so these are things that you talk about that you decide, you know, as a group. And, and you know, maybe you've experienced this. You get five or ten years down the road and say, yeah, we don't do that. So why don't we do that? I don't know. We've just always not done that, you know. <laughs> like one of the things, the tail kind of wags the dog in AA every once in a while. One of, one, of our home, one of our home group members overheard another AA saying, those simple actions people, they think they're all that, man. They gotta, they're announcing stuff at every single meeting all the time. Why do they got to be announcing things all the time? Who do they think they are? And the home group member came back to the group with that. And of course, we had to talk about it for a while. You can imagine that conversation. But what ended up coming out of that in a practical way is we decided that it's reasonable to not announce our events unless we're inside of 30 days. You know, I mean, it was, that was the net result of that conversation. So in the back of the homebrew manual, there's a date, and you know, we're, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna do this because we talked about it, right? So now you're not in a position of having to go look through the minutes from the business meetings for 2016. I think it was 2016, 2015, you know what I mean? It's right there in the document, so that's practical. The other thing that I really wanna share with you, if you look at the, um, uh, the pamphlet, the home group, where it all begins in there, there's a section uh, where it describes something called a steering committee. And, uh, and looking back on it, I wish I had, it, it says, it, it, the, the category header is steering committee, and then it says, some groups form a steering committee or a service committee to troubleshoot the group or whatever. And I wish, looking back on it, I'd have called it a service committee, because nobody <laughs> likes being steered. And, uh, but, what, what we do at my home group is we have um, we have the steering committee meeting. It meets every other month. It's given a lot of, a lot more time than the business meeting. It's not Robert's rules. It has no power. It has no authority. But we get together as a group, and that's the venue where we talk about ourselves, where we stare at our navel or whatever, think about problems in the group or things we can do better, and we can, in a relaxed way, we can uh, discuss those things. And I'll give you an example. Um, and then that, the steering committee may come back to the next business meeting and say the steering committee discussed this as the following recommendation, and then the normal kind of Robert's Rules discussion and stuff will happen. But it's a fantastic um, uh, venue for the group conscience. So I'm going to give you my opinion on something. This is, this is a reveal, right? All of this has only existed in between my skull, okay? I haven't talked to anybody about this. But I've been at war with the preamble in my head for about a month now. 
and maybe not for why you might think. I started thinking about, I've been thinking a lot about the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I started thinking about the preamble. And the first thing it says is, we are a fellowship. We are a fellowship. Is that what we are? Are we a book? Are we a fellowship? Are we a program? We are a fellowship, and then the primary, our primary purpose is to what? Stay sober. Oh, and by the way, help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. They split the primary purpose in the preamble. Does it say anywhere in here that my primary purpose is to stay sober? It gives me a practical program of action that will bring that about, right? So anyway, this is just, these are the kinds of things that go around in my head. And so I argue with myself. Now, I plan the next steering committee meeting is in March. I plan to go there with a, with a proposal. Now, our group is already set up so that we don't, we don't do a lot of readings. Um, we, we do the preamble, we do a little statement of purpose, and then we go right into experience, strength, and hope uh, from the book Alcoholics Anonymous. We close with the last three paragraphs of vision for you. We say the Lord's Prayer. We don't chant. <laughs> we say amen. And, uh, and, then, and, and then we all go out to dinner. Um, <clears throat> so it's already kind of set up to be minimal. And, um, and anyway, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to make a case to the steering committee. I think we should jet the, the grapevine preamble. And here's why I think that. And here's what I offer in its place. Now, I'm going to bring that to the group. The moment I bring that to the group, it is no longer mine. It's just not. These are spiritual, I was thinking about the spiritual entity topic, like any of us can get together and become an entity, a distinct group, but what makes us a spiritual entity? The only thing that I can come up with is that, that, that we as a group are, agree to conform to spiritual principles laid out in the 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. I will bring that proposal to the group and the group will do what, the, do what groups do with it, right? There may be an initial knee-jerk reaction against it. There may be a profound lack of interest in the topic at all. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Next. <laughs> it doesn't, or, or, they may, or they might get in and sort of think it's a fantastic idea. They can't believe they hadn't thought of it earlier. And let's bring the, it doesn't, but it doesn't, no longer matters to me. So, yeah, I kind of hurried through that because I was afraid I was going to run out of time. But um, I am, I, can't, I cannot get sober by myself. I cannot work the steps by myself. Um, there is a real joy to do this with, with brothers and sisters, to really go, you know, page 17 of the book describes the fellowship. And it's really poetic the way it describes it. It's indescribably wonderful to be with you, you know? Um, to be seen, to be known, to be vulnerable, to tell the truth about yourself, to be flawed, and to walk with other people who have the same flaws. And we love each other anyway. All of that is, is, a, is incredibly wonderful. It's not the tremendous fact. <laughs> Tremendous fact is we have a way out. And to go with people in this group, shoulder to shoulder, our group does take commitments as a group. Our GSR and our, um, our intergroup rep are absolutely empowered by the group conscience 
to take up a seat at the district in the intergroup, and if the district says, we've got, we need people to go to the jail uh, in May, then our representatives can say, simple actions will take the second week. And then they come back to the group and we sort out who's gonna take care of that commitment. Um, we don't do chips, we don't celebrate our anniversary, um, but we do support one another. And um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. I, I could never figure out where to stick the landing on this particular talk. Um, you know, I think we, uh, we shortchange ourselves when we uh, talk about getting sober. We can get free here. And we can be with other people who are free. And we can help other people get free. And that is an amazing thing to do with a group of people. So I thank you for letting me share today.